welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Good morning. We're presently in a series called Reboot, where we're looking at some important areas of our lives and thinking about how, in this new year, we might want to rethink, start again, perhaps reboot. We focused on marriage and mission and prayer, and today we will spend some time with a reboot on parenting. So will you please stand for today's scripture reading? It's from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, and that's on page 182 and 183 in your chair Bibles. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When Mike let me know he would need me to speak during this series, we talked a bit about a reboot that might be appropriate for me to tackle. And he grew quite excited over the idea of me talking about parenting. He said something like, that would be perfect for you. You're a mother and a grandmother, and you were a children's pastor for more than 20 years. It does sound like a logical fit, doesn't it? But the first words that came out of my mouth were not, that'll work, or that'll be interesting. They were, you mean you want me to talk about regret? (laughs) No, I have my own story. And it includes plenty of things that knowing what I know today, being who I am today, I would do quite differently. But few things bring up as much of a longing for a redo as parenting. And though many of you who have grown children might not go that far, I suspect that if I asked for a show of hands from parents of adult children who have at least a regret or two from their active years of parenting, almost everyone would raise their hand. Because instinctively, even what the world would label as a bad parent knows at least a little that parenting matters. We want to do it right. I desperately wanted to do it right, perfectly, in fact, which was a big part of the problem because it didn't take me very long to discover how imperfect I was. Nothing in life reveals that faster than being a parent. And I knew what matters in those formative years and beyond. What happens? It matters. As followers of Christ, we go to scripture for instruction. But contrary to what many have said and written over the years, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say on the subject. There is no book of the Bible called Parenting. Chapter 8, verse 15, when your kid isn't sleeping through the night, God says, awake you, sleeper. (laughs) There are certainly verses scattered through the Bible about parents and children. 
And there are many examples of parents in the Bible. Most, except perhaps Mary, the mother of Jesus, I suspect would join me in regrets for their less than perfect parenting. I'm saying all this to start because though I have prayed and spent time in scripture and actually agonized about where to go with this, and though I fervently hope that what I say is God-honoring and contains at least a hint of wisdom, understand this morning is less about me giving a sermon filled with right answers and more about me sharing some observations, some things I've learned over the years, some things I'd like to have been able to tell the young, imperfect, struggling mother that was me. The first thing I'd like to share with my younger self is simple. It's what Dana prayed. God is the only perfect parent. We read in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Weird place to start, maybe. But consider what one theologian writes of Romans 3.23. The relentless insistence that we have all sinned is not a blanket condemnation telling us how bad we are. It simply clears away any assumption that we have it within ourselves to form our own spirituality. We don't, not even a little bit. Once we get this through our heads, we will be saved from a lot of false starts. And some of those false starts with reboots needed are in parenting. We bring the whole of who we are into parenting and all will sometimes sin sometimes get it wrong. The sooner we understand that, the more we let go of the drive to be the perfect parent, and the more we lean into the perfect parent, God. The commentator continues on verse 24, the beyond our comprehension reality at the heart of the universe is that God in Christ on the cross has forgiven all our sins, set us right with him, and gathered us into his righteousness. We cannot comprehend it, but we can most certainly live it, a way of life in which everything about us is and continues to be formed into the likeness of Christ. There is our hope. Part of my continual frustration and shame came from trying to be perfect, to be God to somehow control each situation and raise the perfect children and create the perfect memories. And though God desperately longed to work in me and through me, he never meant for me to do the job that was his. Which brings me back to the scripture I read earlier. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 begins where I believe wise parenting, whether you're just beginning you're looking for a reboot, you're parenting adult children, grandparenting, or loving and influencing kids in any way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
a growing relationship of love for God is the foundation. You can find advice from a million different sources on how to parent. You can drive yourself crazy trying to get it right, but if you are not anchored in a loving relationship with God, it is just good or not so good advice. Moses is speaking here to a new generation. It is at the close of the 40 years of wilderness wanderings and all the adults that started this journey to the promised land, all except Joshua and Caleb, have died. Moses knows he isn't going with them into the land, so he is reminding them of what matters. Love God and obey him. This is called the Shema, the confession at the heart of their faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is God, and there is none other. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Nothing matters more than loving him with all our being, heart, soul, and strength. Every part of our life is included here. Again, this scripture is not just about how to parent, but think of the age of Moses' audience. They are young adults, young parents, and children. And so Moses spends a moment to talk to them at the stage of life they are in. It starts with you, parents, letting God be God and growing in your love for him. And parenting, just like any other part of our lives, is not something separate or on the side. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. You must intimately know them and then impress them on your children. These folks are headed into a new land and it is going to be busy. They will be traveling. There will be battles and hardships and building and establishing new homes and farms and towns and thousands of things to distract them from God. Sounds a lot like today's parenting, doesn't it? But Moses says, keep God in the forefront of everything, including, or maybe especially, your parenting. And how were they to do that in the midst of the craziness of their lives? The same way we are. Talk about them when you sit in your, at your home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them on symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Love of God is foundational, the center from which all of life flows. So God is not a religious lesson we have to program into our, pro our parenting responsibilities. Impressing the truths of God and his love are a lifestyle a way of life lived out in the day-to-day -day of everything. Young Colleen, I'd say, it is less about the do's and don'ts and more about a lifestyle, a certain way of life. We naturally talk about what's most dear to us. We live it out when we sit and walk to school and rock a baby to sleep and drive kids from one activity to another. We are not preaching at our children. 
It's just a natural part of everything we do. And often, the word God or Jesus isn't even mentioned. So the rest of what I have to say is about cultivating this certain way of life, this lifestyle. Because there is truth to the old adage when it comes to children and even the children we influence. More is caught than taught. John Maxwell, when commenting on this phrase, said, you can teach your kids what you know, but you reproduce what you are. It's a sobering reminder that parenting matters a lot because we are not, we, and because we are, to a certain extent, reproducing who we are. But rather than see this as a message to make yourself crazy, trying to be perfect so your kids turn out perfect, reframe this knowing as an invitation to know God more fully, to know yourselves more completely, to cultivate a love for God from which all of life flows. I believe nothing is more spiritually forming than parenting. Let me say that again. Nothing is more spiritually forming than parenting. It is a day-to-day -day invitation to surrender and sacrifice, to recognize our inadequacies and God's faithful presence, to bring our worries, our struggles, our weakness, our frustration, our insufficiency to God. In her beautiful book, Long Days of Small Things, Catherine McNeil writes about how our spiritual journeys always include surrender and sacrifice. And nowhere is this more evident than in parenting. In parenting, all our insecurities and failures and fears are laid bare. She writes, the horrors of our past and the nightmare of our, of our future hold us in bondage, as though paying a ransom in the currency of worry might somehow set us free. We kick and scream against those things we hate and fear but cannot change. But God invites us to let go and find his presence in this moment. Ignoring this invitation to surrender is so very tempting. I'm going to get back to that piece in a minute. Parenting offers a continual invitation to risk believing God's words to Paul and to us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Parenting is a continual invitation to humility, to trust not our own strength or methods or the latest, greatest advice on parenting, but to lean into God. McNeil continues, our surrender to God does not mean bondage. Rather, our surrender is a path out of bondage. With his help, we release our grip on the things that shackle us. When we are at his feet, he consumes us 
burning away our self-centeredness, fear, anxiety, pride, judgments, insecurities, and filling us instead with himself. Sacrifice and surrender are our offering to God, but they are also his gift to us. I love that. Of course we, you want to be educated and do what you can to grow as parents. So read books and try techniques that through your discernment and prayer seem right and can make your life and your children's lives better. But hold them loosely. One of the obvious observations over the years that I've had is that what is considered the right way to parent changes. Most folks who write a book or give a seminar or host podcasts are convinced that their way of parenting is right, and they have results to back it up. But whether it's spanking or timeout or mindfulness or sleep training or demand feeding or schedules or navigating the teen years in an ever-changing world, what seems best now, 20 years from now, may leave you with some feelings of regret. So do what seems best with humility and with open hands and do everything with perhaps the most important piece of cultivating a certain way of life. Our reboot from last week. Pray. This is the, uh, the daily invitation that parenting offers. In fact, almost demands as we come to grip with our, own, our grips with our own weaknesses and uncertainty of what is best for our precious children, as we learn to surrender and sacrifice, we can learn to live out that tiny little verse that Sharon mentioned last week when talking about the adventure of prayer she's on, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. When we need to be reminded that we are 30 and they are 4, we pray. When we are up in the middle of the night again and again with a child and are exhausted beyond words, we pray. When I was struggling with how I was going to handle this topic, I was starting to spin out. So I decided to take a pause and look up some jokes on parenting, because finding humor in the chaos can indeed help us with our sanity. After all, the verse before, pray continually, is rejoice always. So let me just stop and mention a few I keyed into, because my kids were not, and some of my grandkids are not, good sleepers. So, in the words of Ray Romano, Having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. <laughs> From the divergent mama, just because I'm an exhausted mom doesn't mean I'm not spontaneous anymore. Will I get out of these pajama pants today? Maybe, maybe not. You just never know. <laughs> and my favorite, I tucked my kids in last night and said, see you in the morning. And then we laughed and laughed, <laughs> saw them 16 more times before sunrise. <laughs> when you are beyond tired and all out of ideas, maybe you look up jokes, but you also pray. 
when our teenager or adult child is making decisions we know will lead to heartache, we pray. When we are helpless to fix or need to figure out the next step, when we need to find positivity and joy and laughter, we pray. And even when we don't know how to pray, we trust that Romans 8.26 is true. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What is not to love about a God who intercedes for us when all we can do is groan? Which brings me back to that portion of the Shema from Deuteronomy the place from which it all flows. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This sounds like a command. In fact, Jesus called it the greatest commandment. But how can we command love? Just because I tell you to love me doesn't mean you well or even can love me. In fact, the more I demand love, the more you will probably resist. So how does this work? I tried to parent from love for God. I knew a lot about God from scripture. But I realize now that there was often a missing piece. Because this love is a response to love. Real love for God, love that sustains Love that we live out comes from experiencing God's unconditional love for us. Surrender and sacrifice then isn't a white-knuckled torture, but an open-handed response. Prayer becomes more natural as a way of life because we want to commune with the one we love. One of God's beautiful and freeing invitations in all of life, including parenting, is to learn to relax into God's rhythms of grace and renewal. This is where I believe we truly experience the love of God in a way that transforms us from the inside out. A love to which we respond with a growing love for God and natural obedience. Now, my guess is some of you, especially those of you with, in the midst of caring for little ones, or perhaps with kids of multiple ages trying to balance all the different activities of work out of the home and work in the home, you may be looking at me right now with blank stares saying, how exactly am I supposed to do that? Relax into God's rhythms? And that feeling may even be heightened when I read the next set of verses which describe the kind of rhythms I'm referring to. From Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These verses and rhythms we are invited to are often used 
in connection to things like silence and solitude and Sabbath. And the exhausted parent may relate to weary and burdened, but the come away with me and rest? When exactly? Perfect time to add another joke. Can't find your kids? Don't worry. Sit on the toilet. They'll find you. <laughs> I'd love for each of you in that phase of life to find moments of silence and solitude and rest. But let's not forget the yoke. Not joke, but yoke. You've probably heard the teaching on oxen and how they're yoked together to share the load and how the young, inexperienced ox is partnered with the older, experienced ox to not just share the load, but to teach the younger ox the path of least resistance. It's a beautiful picture of God's invitation to let him do the heavy lifting, to partner and trust and surrender to his lead. But recently, I read something about the yoke I hadn't considered. You see, we often point out the things I've mentioned and then just jump right to easy and light and rest and forget that yokes are not worn by oxen when they are grazing in green pastures. The yoke is worn when they are at work, breaking up hard ground for seeds to be planted, carrying heavy loads of necessity and responsibility. That is parenting, isn't it? And it is right in the middle of the hard work that God gently and humbly invites us to find his rhythm of grace and renewal. Tish Harrison Warren, in Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, describes it like this. It is in the repetitive and the mundane that I begin to learn to love, to listen, to pray, to pay attention to God and to those around me. Dallas Willard in Divine Conspiracy reminds us, transformation is actually carried out in our real life, where we dwell with God and our neighbors, and I would add, and our children. First, we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. Believe it or not, God actually offers kingdom blessings, a road of transformation, rhythms of grace and renewal, and in numerous opportunities to experience his love and forgiveness and hope in the very mundane and tiring work of parenting if we pay attention. Parenting perhaps more than any other vocation in life, offers us endless opportunities to pay attention to God, who he is, and what he is up to in us and through us, to ourselves. We can learn an awful lot about ourselves by what our almost instantaneous responses are to the demands and interruptions and work of parenting. 
and to our children. Each one is so beautifully and frustratingly unique, made in the image of God and on their own journey of resistance and discovery. You'll notice I haven't talked about discipline, the topic most parents are desperate to figure out, and that is probably the most talked about in sermons on parenting. And I'm not going to, except for just a teeny bit. Everything is quoted in these sermons from whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 13, 24. To Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Or Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Tim Keller, in a Father's Day message, you can find online, does a great job with this last verse, where he explains the word exacerbate here does not mean you can parent in a way where your kids never get mad at you. If that's the case, you're doing it wrong. But that it refers to this deep, settled anger and resentment. He talks about those two words, training, which includes, he says, discipline, a firmness, and boundaries. And then the word instruction, which in the original language is parent, apparently more like what we would say counseling, listening, loving, and the balance that is needed between the two. He explains that parents often under-discipline because they seek approval from their kids to be okay, or they over-discipline their kids because they can't bear to see their kids flawed, not perfect and how that reflects on them. Both, if not in balance, one with the other, will lead to resentment, exasperation, embitterment. It's some great teaching you might want to check out. Through it all, I just kept thinking, it's all about learning to pay attention, to learn from each child what they uniquely need, it's never a one-size-fits-all. It's about learning to pay attention to what is stirring in us at the perceived offense. It's about learning to pay attention to God's spirit for how to handle each situation. I have many parenting regrets, but I have a God who is gracious, forgiving, and always and forever inviting me into a reboot. Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or walking with parents or children in one way or another, hear these verses. Let them wash over you and be encouraged. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Will you pray with me?
God, this is hard. For many of us, it is the hardest thing we will ever do. And so we humbly bow to you, recognizing we need you. Fill us with your love, your grace, your tenderness, your wisdom, your hope. In the beautiful words of the song, every mother, every father, we ask for your blessing for every mother, every father, called to raise up sons and daughters. May each heart be patient. May each mind be clear. May you, God, be in them and calm their fears. And may we, as a faith community, support them, walk with them, and love them well. Amen. <laughs>